namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Buddhang Dhammang Sangam Namasami There is a wonderful teaching in the scriptures which is called the Saraniya Dhamma. The Dhammas or those factors or aspects of reconciliation. If we are busy trying to gratify ourselves through the delights of the world and finding happiness outside of ourselves, we have really not understood the truth of this teaching. And if we're able to sit down and meditate for a few minutes, you may notice where does peace arise? Peace arises by understanding that it's through purification of the suffering and the lack of purity within us, purification of our minds to begin with, that we can actually come to a place of reconciliation. The reconciliation, the refuge, doesn't happen by looking for something out there. So by practicing this right way of seeing, and it starts by looking at what's bothering me? Where where am I not reconciled within myself? Where is the lack of connection within? So we sit down and we see how wild is the heart, how restless, how angry, how sad, how broken, how sorrowful, how distressed. Of course, the world has all of these features in it. But where does it begin? It begins in here. And until we're able to see the origin of the suffering that it is within us, then we can't develop that right view. That's why this meditation practice is so important. Because it's the doorway to developing true seeing. You want to know seeing, what do I have to see? It's interesting that the true seeing starts by closing our eyes. We're busy trying to get the nice glasses and We want to focus on what's outside of us. But the real reconciliation starts... Take off the glasses. (laughs) Can't see you very well. Take off your glasses and close your eyes. And what are you seeing? What do you see in there? Oh, I'm depressed. Or... I'm angry, or uh, I'm not content 
Maybe it's not that serious. Maybe you're just not content. You want to find a new job. But if we can find happiness in a simple moment-by-moment concentration on what is arising now, and let the whole world go, entering the temple of the heart is the birth, the origin of right view. It's the, the beginning of the path. It's the doorway to the temple. This is where reconciliation starts, and this is where the true refuge begins. So that's why the Buddha puts these two together. Right view happens to be the very first limb of the Eightfold Noble Path. Unless we have right view, we don't see any point in sitting with our eyes closed. Most people think that if they haven't practiced meditation and if they were to walk in here and see a bunch of people sitting with their eyes closed, maybe they would think that we're all a little strange or that we're slightly mad. Oh yeah, we are mad. Our madness, we are mad about the truth. We are fanatically passionately dedicated to finding out what is really going on in this present moment. If we can peel away the layers of the, of the madness of the world, then we can discover the real point of reconciliation, which is within us. That's where our real home is. That is where our real refuge is. No matter how many insurance policies we organize, no matter how much wealth we accumulate in the bank, no matter how solid our homes are, we are not safe. We don't have the real sadhana, which means refuge, until we have established a refuge that is within. It's within this fathom-long body. When I left the monastery six years ago, I wanted to try a hermetic type of life, living alone, living in solitude, And it has been for me a real test of that refuge. And these saraniya dhamma have come more alive for me than ever before. By having to spend time alone without any insurance policy of the monastery, you feel very secure. Even though we're ordained, we shave our heads and wear the robe, and we join the monastery, then we're leaving the world behind. But actually, a monastery, in Western terms, can be a very comfortable place. You have a group of wonderful companions, and you're all doing the same thing, conforming as best you can to a very high aspiration. 
And you're all trying your best to follow these saraniya dhamma. We've already agreed on very high principles. But as human beings, we're still falling down. That doesn't matter. Because the beauty of this training and this refuge is that we always can begin again from the beginning. Forgiveness happens moment by moment. The Vinaya is not like a set of commandments and if you disobey them, you get punished. The Vinaya is a reflection on how we're going off the path so that we can pull ourselves back on it. So that we can be reconciled to what we love. That requires constant forgiveness. So that pure love is developed as soon as we realize that there is nothing to forgive anymore. When we are so dedicated by understanding how to live in total reconciliation, there is no more need for forgiveness. We are abiding in the ultimate refuge. We're really in harmony with ourselves. So we can go around blaming the others. Your companions in the holy life or your companions in your family are just like mirrors. They're holding up a mirror to what we look like, what we sound like, what we are doing. And it can be very frightening. You might think that monks and nuns are just floating around in total harmony and peace. But actually, it's really like a melting pot. It's like a heating up, like a burning. The flame, the fire is turned up so that you're really having to be at your best. That's very hard to do. And we break down and we pick each other up again. Sometimes we break each other down. Not intentionally, but we're human beings. We're always being shown where we are in the mirror. But if, if we don't have that reflection, then how can we train? How can we understand where the suffering begins? We, we think that it's the other people that are responsible for our sorrow, our distress, our sadness, our anger. But it isn't. It starts here. And when I left the monastery and started to live on my own, in a, quite an insecure situation, really not knowing from day to day who was going to feed me, how I was going to be supported, I could see the dragon of blaming, the dragon of anger, the dragon of greed, all the desires in the mind rising up like an army to break me into small pieces. Day after day. (laughs) All those companions that had been my support network were no longer there. But fortunately, after some time of having to look in this many-faceted mirror of my spiritual companions, then I had the chance to learn 
it was reflected to me, you know, you're like this, you're like this, you're like this. So then I had to see, I'm like this, I'm like this, I'm like this. And I'm alone. And I had that committee of voices still still saying, just see, where does the dukkha begin? What's the origin of the suffering? So all those challenges were there to teach me. Where am I? Where does the discontent arise? It arises with fear. It arises with desire to be safe. It arises with lack of faith. It arises with wrong view about the nature of reality. So as soon as I could practice the real refuge, take a deep breath and just see the dragon of insecurity or the dragon of my angry mind. Maybe angry at the situation. Why isn't anyone feeding me? As long as I could sit and make peace with those angry voices in my own heart, that's where the real reconciliation begins. This is a personal journey for each of us. We all have to make this journey. Whether we shave our heads or live in the world, it doesn't matter. We have to take that step of shaving our hearts, of giving up the very dragons that we're grabbing and hanging on to. Stop blaming the situation and learn to turn those angry voices into teachers. So when things aren't going right, instead of saying, well, what do I have to learn here? Where is my refuge? My refuge is in the present moment, letting go, understanding that it's impermanent, that it's suffering. Where does the suffering begin? Wanting another breath, wanting the breath to be this way, to be sweet rather than sad, to be whole rather than broken, to be a beautiful meal rather than something you don't like. To be a pleasant experience rather than a painful one. This feeling of gratitude is very important in the sense that as long as we are grateful for whatever is happening, is loving the moment, forgiving the moment, then right view begins. Then we are able to see with the eyes of Dhamma. Just one more breath. Can we be grateful that we're breathing? Can we be grateful that we are alive? And from the understanding that we have that little blessing, the mind is already the landing strip for all the other good qualities to build on. It's a foundation for the rest of the path. So right view is the beginning. When right view flowers to a deeper extent, we will begin to see 
that which is impermanent as impermanent and as untrue. And that which is true as true. And we will never get confused again, confusing what's impermanent as permanent. Right now we think that samsara is permanent. Until we have that insight, we're going to keep falling back into confusion about the truth, about reality. And our choices in samsara or in the sensory realm, which is bringing us away from our place of true connection, we will not be able to make the most wise choices possible. We will not be able to reconcile ourselves truly in the sense of practicing these saraniya dhamma, loving kindness in body, speech, and mind, sharing impartially with all beings, because we will have prejudices. We'll want one person to have more than another. My friend should have the best. And we will make decisions that are ethically unwholesome. Because we will not be that established in wisdom. So we will make mistakes. But if we can practice to the point of safety and security, to a perfected level of mindfulness and wisdom, then whatever choices we have to make, we will always make them based on right refuge. Refuge in the truth, rather than refuge in the false things of the world. This requires a morality that is at a very high level. Right now we're busy making war. I don't mean war with other countries. I mean war with ourselves. Conflict is within us. We can't practice love as long as we're in conflict. When I came to live on my own, I realized how much I was in conflict because my mind was so much giving in to greed, hatred, and delusion. Even wanting the security of getting a meal is giving in to greed. It's not being content with the way things are. To be content with the way things are, to really receive everything as my teacher, I have to be willing to learn from deprivation, from dukkha, from not getting what I want. Now, how many of us are willing to learn, are willing to let the person that we don't like be our teacher? You don't have to tell them this. There's something that this person is teaching us by showing us where we are, how much ego is, how much we're invested in affirming our position or our, our view, our opinion, our power based on our attachment of getting things to be the way we want them. The same is true in relationships in the family, in the household. But we do our best. Forgive and start again. Then it doesn't matter. You still love each other, you still forgive each other, you still open your hearts, even if the person can't do what you want them to do, you know you're doing your best. You can still say thank you, you can still be grateful. Even if they bring a meal that you can't eat, you can still be grateful. They tried. They're not intentionally trying to make me hungry. 
they just can't cook. (laughs) And I chose to live this way, so that's the karma of being in this position. The true refuge, the true security, the true safety is not outside of you. It's always in you. Who's not making you happy? Where is the source of that unhappiness? What are we contributing to the formula? Have we been able to practice loving kindness in our actions, in our speech, in our thoughts? Maybe we can't bring a sense of loving kindness to the situation. Then we have to forgive ourselves. I remember Saito Upandita telling me that to die with a mind that is clear and fully present, that's a beautiful death. Am I ready to die? There is nothing to be afraid of as long as we're ready to die. And if we're ready to die, that means that we have died to the sham of the world, the phoniness of the world. We have let it go. We're not holding on to it anymore. We're dead to that because we're awake to what is true, what we can really trust. To penetrate to that, we have to uproot. We have to go deeply within our own experience and our own hearts to discover the treasure that's lying buried We have to empty out all the defilements, all the burning. The world inside us is the world that is burning with the poisons of the mind. We want to vacate that and establish the real refuge. There is a brokenness out of which comes the unbroken. Nobody else can make us happy, and nobody can break our hearts. Because the real Dhamma, the ultimate joy, the total stillness of craving, of wanting, of running after the shadows of the world, the cessation of all that is right here in one moment, one breath. As soon as we say, No to the world, we're saying yes to Nibbana. We are prepared to stop and we are keeping clear. It's a holy moment. It's a holy day when we can do that. Somebody asked me, why are we nicer and polite to outsiders than family? We have to practice what's been called the moral equivalent of war. That means something that is as powerful as, as this impulse to be violent. Something that is morally as powerful, as strong, as vigilant, as determined to balance out those other urges in the heart to get what I want the urges that originate with 
the ego or with desire, with the desire mind, the greedy mind, the selfish mind, to be selfless. So if people tell me, oh, you're wasting your time, they think I'm just a parasite. I've lived on kindness of other people for 18 years. Not long ago, I was in a doctor's office waiting and one of the women there waiting started to talk to me about how do you pay for this doctor? And she said, it must be nice just sponging off everybody else. (laughs) But she had no idea what it takes to be able to live like this. Because if your mind is like that, kind of greedy and graspy and selfish, you wouldn't last five minutes in the rug. You really wouldn't. You wouldn't be able to stand it for one week living on alms food or just waiting for people to show up when they feel like to bring you something to eat. Because your mind would always be wanting to have things the way you want. She didn't really investigate deeply the way that I live. She just made a judgment based on where she's coming from. So instead of being angry, I tried to understand that she really doesn't see the whole picture. She only sees a little piece and is translating it into her alphabet. So if you can meet those opinions with a mind of compassion based on some revealed wisdom that has come through practicing insight meditation, through developing right view and understanding where the real refuge is and how to reconcile oneself, how to make peace with those unkind voices, those harsh voices. Sure, they influence us. Because we want to be liked. We want, the ego wants to be fed. If we can meet the world with a mind that is starving the hindrances, instead of feeding the greed and the ill will towards other people, we support the quality of forgiveness, understanding, peacemaking with others then we drop our opinions and we're always ready to see what do I have to learn from what's being said? What is this person teaching me? What is the blessing in this difficult moment? Then we can feel gratitude because we're definitely learning. And what I learned with that lady is that I trust my virtue. I don't trust her lack of wisdom or her judging mind. I don't trust that. I trust my own sila. I trust my own dedication to the path. Even if people blame me or criticize me, I might feel misunderstood. So then I come back to a moment of purity. I'm able to stay with the breath. I can breathe in. I see it's always self the reestablishment of the self in the mind, the big enemy, as soon as you're praised in the next moment, you'll be blamed. Don't take refuge in those things. But learn how they affect us. To see how praise and blame, success and failure, happiness and unhappiness, pain and pleasure influence us. And to see how letting them go 
and staying balanced bring peace into the heart. Everything that happens to us is a teaching. What we learn when somebody drops a bomb. You might think, what do you learn from that? What do we learn? How to practice equanimity with what's happening in the world. Well, where's the, we can say, where are the bombs in me, you know, in my own mind? What kind of bombs am I constantly detonating within myself? That we have some governance over. Coming back to practicing the purity in the moment, which leads to purification of the mind through the training, concentrating the wholesome factors in the mind, loving kindness in body, speech, and thought. Thought is the basis. That's the basis of morality. That's the basis of peace. It's the moral equivalent of war. Wholesomeness, abandoning what's unwholesome. So you can't stop the bombs on the outside, but somehow we can begin by making peace with the present moment as it is in our own hearts. That will affect whatever we say to the next person, whatever commentary is going on in the mind. And certainly it will bring an extra blessing to a difficult situation. Just scan your heart for a moment. There are two times when you should always keep your mouth closed. One of them, they say, is when you're swimming. (laughs) And the other one is when you're angry. So don't speak from anger. Wait until you've collected yourself, calmed your mind in some way. Do a little bit of meditation practice. Try to bring up a bit of forgiveness in the heart. And then come back to the situation. It's important to set boundaries. If somebody else is being unskillful, you have to draw a line. If they can't draw the line, then you draw it for them and say, look, please, this is as far as. Now, once you've drawn a line, that's an act of compassion, really, if it's a skillful way of doing it. Not, leave me alone, I hate you. That's, you think that that's drawing a line, but it's just antagonist. It's aggression. It's an aggressive way of speaking. But if you say, I'm sorry, but I can't accept that kind of speech. And then if they do it again and you allow it, That confuses the situation. So once you draw a boundary, it's like a vinya. A vinya means you drive out the defilement. Burning up the defilement, it's a code of discipline. So you offer that to the situation and say, beyond this, we don't interact. You're not going to participate in that kind of unskillfulness. And then if the person continues to do that, you might need some other support. If it's a a personal relationship, you might need a witness. Or oneself, we could engage in some kind of therapeutic process. Because maybe the internal dialogue is a very unwholesome one. 
How can we deal with somebody else's unskillfulness when we have a very bad attitude towards ourselves? We think we're hopeless. We think we deserve to be spoken to like that. So we've really invited it at some level. Or we're used to playing victim. It's just a syndrome that we've gotten into and we can't break out of it. We need help. We need support. Remember that when we're suffering, keep looking at what we're not doing rather than pointing out what others are failing to do. And instead of continuing not to do it, to stop and to do what we know will bring us to the state of purity joy and peace instead of noticing what others are not doing instead of blaming somebody else for our suffering it's your fault instead of blaming a situation it's life it's my mother it's the government we always look for the origin of our unhappiness in here If we can keep doing those two things, we will really fulfill and accomplish this path to its perfection. Moment by moment, that's the practice. Practice kindness. Practicing kindness means not practicing hatred. We practice delusion and hatred and greed every time we entertain a moment of wanting. We're conditioning and reconditioning ourselves to want more. And every time we're letting go that wanting, we're practicing the path. It's that simple. Clinging and letting go. And when we don't let go, don't worry about it. Forgive and start again. The Buddha was all compassionate. We can always begin again.